This is episode 37 of the Popcast. Hello, welcome to the Popcast, the pop culture podcast from Vernacular. We're your hosts, Maureen and Josh Goldman. Each week, we'll dive into the latest in pop culture with our three regular segments. First, the snack bag, where we cover some smaller stories from the past week. Second, the marquee topic, where we dive in-depth into one pop culture story or event. And third, the teasers, where we give our suggestions for pop culture content you might have missed, but should definitely check out. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Popcast. Hi, everyone. Coming to you from our bedroom floor. I'm in a blanket. It's cold. And we are next to a gigantic pile of laundry. Laundry mountain, Laundry if you mountain. Will. It is in a laundry basket, but it is well over the basket. It's very tall. I want to know, for any couples listening, or anybody who has a partner and you guys do laundry together, do you do each other's laundry? Like, do you do communal laundry? Or any partners out there, spouses, do you guys do your own laundry? The reason Maureen is asking (laughs) is because she believes that I produce more laundry than she does. I produce about 20% of the laundry, and Josh produces about 80% of the laundry. Well, when the clothes are dirty, the clothes are dirty. They got to go in the dirty clothes. I I fully agree, but maybe you could wash yours and I could wash mine. (laughs) Okay. See what I'm saying there? I fold all the laundry now. Um, We recently set up a system where I was going to do, we have two chores we hate. Meal planning and making the grocery list and laundry folding. We love throwing things in the laundry, but we hate folding. So I propose that instead of both worrying about both chores all the time, we just divide and conquer. And I have been doing a pretty good job of meal planning and grocery listing. Josh does the grocery shopping, which is much appreciated. And a lot of the cooking nowadays. Yeah. But Josh was taking on laundry folding. And you go in spurts. You will you will fold a bunch of stuff, but then it just kind of sits there. And the deal was... Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. I haven't been holding up my end of the deal. There's a pile of clean laundry. There often is a pile of clean laundry. It, we're a work in progress. So we're if anyone has progress. any laundry folding tips... Could maybe we, we should. Maybe it should just be like we both just set an hour aside and we just do it together every, you know... Thursday after we record the podcast. Date night. Date night. Could we get a robot to fold our laundry? I would invest in a robot that folded laundry. I think we could get a person probably cheaper no, than but, but a, a robot. robot. <laughs> Can't you just imagine? We could go to a... We could like out, outsource it. There's many solutions. Mr. But and Mrs. Goldman. We we should be adults who can do our own laundry. Your laundry is folded. <laughs> and then I go and then I unplug him or I, or I plug him in to recharge and he goes powering down... He would probably be like, system overload, too much laundry, cannot compute, cannot fold. And then he would be like, and we'd be like, oh, no, we broke the laundry bot. That would be a really terrible purchase if that happened. Well, anyway, send your laundry best practices our way. Please. One piece of follow-up from last week. We talked all about the Oscars, and I can't believe I didn't talk about this when we were on the podcast, but... You know, the week before when we were doing our predictions, I had said, I think Bradley Cooper should win Best Actor. As it turned out, Rami Malek did win for Bohemian Rhapsody. But the thing that I forgot to mention on the podcast was that they showed little clips of the performers in their movie right before they gave out the award. And the clip they picked for Rami Malek was him lip syncing. It was so, and it was so obviously lip syncing. They couldn't, I I don't understand why they didn't pick any other clip of him actually doing something performative. And there he was lip syncing. I mean, it was. And they didn't even thank the guy who sang. Nobody even mentioned him. It's like he's a ghost. I didn't like that. I just 
felt like this is the epitome of why he shouldn't win Best Actor. Look, he was good. He was entertaining. But Bradley Cooper did his own singing. Okay, that's the last thing I'll, I'll talk agree. about with, 100%. with B. Coops on this podcast. No, we'll talk about him again. But but <laughs> in relation to A Who Star is getting? Born. Who are we getting? Who are we getting? We love, we love B. Coops. Let's jump into the snack bag. We have two sad items to start with. The first one is that Luke Perry of 90210 and currently of Riverdale passed away at the age of 52. N- neither Maureen or I watched 90210. I think it was before our time slightly. But... He was only 52. That's, That's really sad. And he, he passed a, away of a stroke. He had a stroke. I think the thing that struck me the most was that people's reaction to it was really visceral, it felt like, because they grew up watching him on the show. And I think that as actors and performers and singers and people we grew up with start to pass away, I think it hits home in a different way than than people from previous generations. I mean, I'm yeah, I'm making like squinty eyes at Josh right now because... Everyone who's passed away has been someone someone grew up with. So, for example, like people. Okay, that's fair. Like, is it just more that you feel like this was a more visceral reaction because it was more on social media because it was our generation that was maybe so, but but maybe it was also because of the age of of Luke Perry. He was only fifty two, so and you know, I was reading a USA Today article that was saying it's not really uncommon that someone could die of a stroke at that age. I think it's rarer, but I don't think it's it's not out of the question. The other sad news that we just found out about last night was that Alex Trebek, the longtime host of Jeopardy and really fixture in many homes in the United States, has revealed that he has stage four pancreatic cancer, which I also learned after he made this announcement that it's a very difficult cancer to detect in its early stages. So stage four is one of the most advanced stages of the cancer. The mortality rate is is pretty high. So he has said that he's going to beat it. He's going to do everything he can to fight against it. But he's 78. and He's 78? Yeah, he's been doing Jeopardy for years he and years and years. He looks amazing. I think that this is a sad, sad turn of events. And this one, to me, was... You know, there's something about Alex Trebek and there's something about Jeopardy. But even if you don't watch it every day, there's just something comforting about that well, show. Well, here, I'm going to say this, and I really hope that, like, something doesn't come out of the woodwork. But, like, Alex Trebek is also an upstanding citizen. He is not someone who has ever been really bathed in scandal. He is very loyal to Jeopardy, and he is steadfast. And I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of talking about my own personal opinion of his essence. But I just feel like he's like an upstanding guy and he did make a joke in the article you know his statement was you know don't worry i'm gonna fight this and i'm gonna win i have to it's in my contract that i need to host <laughs> jeopardy for another three years so hopefully his good spirits stay with him and he did ask for prayers from people i have a question let's just assume he he beats this and his contract's up in in 2022 and he decides to leave jeopardy can the show continue without him like like is there it someone shouldn't. else I don't like the Price is Right new nonsense with Drew Carey, but I'm probably in the minority there. But do you think the you don't think the show as a format can last without him, or is it too integrated? I think they will. I think they. I'm sure they will try. It's a cash cow, I would believe. I mean, like it's a cash cow for the contestants. <laughs> for Ken Jennings, good one, honey. I don't know. I think it could survive without you know when he retires someday. It would not be the same. It wouldn't be the same. But you know, I didn't think the Price is Right would work, and I know you just you just poo pooed it. But I think it's fine with Drew Carey because that show is fun no matter who's hosting it. We'll see in 2022 after Alex Trebek beats cancer and he retires from the show. Next snack bag topic. I saw a, 
a movie trailer for a movie coming out. The movie is called Late Night. It was written by Mindy Kaling, who is famous from The Office, and she was on The Mindy Project, which she also created. She's a very talented actor, writer. She's also starring in this movie. And the reason that it caught my eye is because this sold for a lot of money at Sundance this year. And it's not often that movies sell for more than... What does that mean, it sold for a lot of money at Sundance? So the film was produced, and then they sold the distribution rights to another company. A whole bunch of people like gave their own money, made the movie, and then they were like, okay, who wants to basically release this? Right, so they'll sell it to you know a company like A24 or Fox Searchlight or something like that, and then they will release the film under their banner, and then- They get to know, make all the money. Well, they'll make some of the money. So the movie, movies at Sundance typically don't sell for more than $10 million. I think this one sold for something like $15 million, which is really cool for a female writer, a female director starring women. So the premise of the movie is that Mindy Kaling's character gets hired as the only female writer on a late night show hosted by a person played by Emma Thompson. Maureen, what did you think of the trailer? I really liked the trailer. I'm pretty sure I'm the target market. Uh, I immediately was like, ooh, this looks so cute. I want to see it. I have to say, I did put this on the snack bag because I knew Maureen's reaction was going to be like this. Um, It looks really funny. It looks like, I wouldn't say classic chick flick because the main storyline is not a romance one. It's like between the Emma Thompson and Mindy Kaling, the boss and the writer. Sort of like the Devil Wears Prada. Yeah, I mean, at least from what they showed us in this. But I like Mindy Kaling. I think she's really funny. I will say it seems like in the trailer she's playing the exact same character she did in the Mindy Project. So that will likely be funny, but I don't know. I, I Except a writer this time instead of a physician. Yes, but it's just like Mindy's comedic timing and shtick was very similar. Right. Again, this is only a two-minute trailer, so I only got a little glimpse. And the thing I will say is that I already mentioned this to Josh, but I was both surprised and delighted and skeptical about the premise of the show being about a female late night host, as in Stephen Colbert, James Corden, Jimmy Fallon, David Letterman, Jay Leno. Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel. Conan O'Brien. Yep. All of those amazingly talented men. But this is a woman basically in the same role. And it's interesting because at first I was like, oh, weird that they're having a woman do it. And then I was like, why is that weird? There should be women doing it. We should have women late night hosts. There's only one, Samantha B. She's the only one. And she, her, you know, hers is on TBS. She has a politically tilted show, but she's the only one. And there's really, there's really no minorities either in late night. There's just one that I can think of, Trevor Noah, who hosts The Daily Show now. I mean, it's really, you're right. It's pretty sad. Male dominated. It's very industry. male dominated. It's very white male dominated. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how they handle that. And I like that they're putting a woman in that role because I think it will be interesting. The movie comes out this summer. I know Maureen will be in line. To, June 7th, I'm ready. To check it out. And we'll let you know once we see it how we thought it was. Last snack bag topic. There was this piece that came out from Steven Spielberg, famous director, one of the best directors of the last hundred years. He came out and said that he believes and he is going to take it to the Board of Governors of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences that Netflix films, movies produced and released by Netflix, on their platform, should not be eligible for Oscars. This struck it's a chord. It's not only Netflix, right? Isn't it Amazon as well? Right. So anything, anything any that, streaming service. Any, but yeah. he, used, he used Netflix as an example because obviously they pushed Roma really hard in this year's Oscars. His vote, he also said in the statement, was for Green Book. He said, 
a vote for Green Book is a vote for cinema. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but that's kind of what he said. What is your initial reaction to this? There was something in the article that basically said, like, get on the train, Spielberg, like, you, oh, reading the tea, like, he's just not reading the tea leaves. I mean, the ship has sailed. I think he's fighting a losing battle. It is what it is. That being said, I, I think he does have some salient points. Basically, what I took his argument to be was, once you are showing something on a TV screen, it's 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 designed for TV. It's different than seeing something in the theaters. It's shot with a different aspect ratio. Maybe I'm not, this is me now Sometimes. talking, but it, it's maybe designed differently. If you know that you need it needs to be accessible via a TV screen as well as the movie theater, and that changes the art. And he said he said in the article it should be you know of course then it should be getting Emmys, but if it's not something that's designed for the big screen, it shouldn't be getting an Oscar. I thought that was an interesting point. Again, I think he's fighting a losing battle, but it it comes I think what what the trick is here is what is the definition of a movie? Is a movie something that is designed to be viewed on the big screen or is the movie something that is of a certain length or is a movie something that, you know, tells a certain like, you know, encapsulated story rather than like a mini series or a TV show? How do you define a feature-length film? And then that is I think where the answer to this argument will be. What do you think, honey? I think you're right that he is fighting a battle that he will not win. And I think part of the problem is that he's he's only damaging his legacy as a filmmaker to come out and and you know say he that He must feel pretty strongly then though to he he must know he's going to get negative press. It's the same thing where filmmakers say if you don't shoot a a movie on actual film that it's not a film, you know? And if you're shooting on a on a camera that shoots digitally, even if the camera is an incredible piece of technology, like the Ari Alexa cameras and the RED cameras, I mean, these, these cameras can hold up against any camera that shoots film. You know, people who say that films aren't films because they're shot on digital, I just think that they're not living in the time that we're living. The only way to define a film is that it is a piece of art that tells a closed-looped story. So you have a beginning, middle, and an end. I don't think that where you see the film has any bearing because we watch plenty of movies at home on TV. We see the same piece of art at home that people saw in the movie theaters. And it's not not a film when we see it, but a film when people see it in theaters. I guess my question would be, if all of those films, one could argue, were originally designed for the big screen, and then we're just seeing the adapted version, what happens when a film is no longer designed for the big screen? Does that change it in any way? Do you think that, let's take Alfonso Cuaron for a minute, when he made Roma, do you think that when he was making the film, he was thinking, okay, people are going to be watching this on TV because it's going to be on Netflix, or do you think he said, I'm just going to make a piece of art and it doesn't matter where you view it? See, that's my thing. It's it's that you can create something that can it's be screen seen. Screen agnostic. Right. You can create something that can be seen on a big screen and you can create something that would be seen on a small screen or on someone's iPad or on someone's phone. And I don't think it changes the piece of art that you're creating. Now, I do think that there are benefits to going to a movie theater. You know, I saw the film Dunkirk in a theater last year when I it came out. I knew you were going to talk about this. And it was amazing on a giant screen. It would not have been as fun to watch on a phone. In fact, I would have probably turned it off had I been watching it on my phone or my iPad. It just doesn't work the same way. 
Same thing can be said about the film Gravity, which came out a couple years ago. Maureen and I watched that on a TV, and we were both so lame. We were both underwhelmed. But I can imagine if you saw that in a theater, there would be something special about seeing that there. I think the bottom line of this is that I think Steven Spielberg should pick his battles, and this is not one he's going to win. And I don't think that they're never going to say, you know, Martin Scorsese has a movie coming out on Netflix this year that you know Netflix is going to push as an Oscar contender next year. There's no way that the Academy Awards is going to say, no thanks, Martin Scorsese, no thanks, De Niro, no thanks, we're going to move on, you guys go to the Emmys. There's just no way. I think the real tragedy here is that Spielberg will now never direct anything on Netflix, so maybe we're all missing out on his latest masterpiece. I think that will about do it for the Snack Bag this week. Before we jump into our marquee topic, let's hear a quick word from one of our sponsors. Sponsors! Do you ever listen to an episode of the Popcast and think, man, I'd love to give podcasting a try? Or maybe you think to yourself, that Josh, he's a hack. I could do my own show about pop culture. I'd want to keep Maureen, though. She's great. Well, I've got good news for you. Anchor, the very platform we use for the Popcast, is the easiest way to make a podcast. Their platform is super simple to use and gives you everything you need to make your show in one place, either on your phone or on your computer. And the best part? It's completely free to use. They have the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast, and they'll take care of distribution so you can make your voice heard everywhere from Apple Podcasts to Spotify to Google Podcasts and more. You can also make money from your podcast, and get this, there is no minimum listenership required to start making money. So what are you waiting for? Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Okay, back to the show. Maureen, this week... I wanted to try something new with our marquee topic. I came up with this idea that I'm tentatively calling Critically Panned. You and I watched a movie a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago now, that got absolutely terrible reviews. It was recommended to me by someone else. We watched it. I really liked the movie. It got me thinking, are there movies out there that get terrible reviews, but we actually really like, and that are worth watching, and that we would recommend to people? So I thought, let's do this little series. We'll do it from time to time. This will be our first one today called Critically Panned, where we talk about a movie that did not get good reviews from critics, but that we really enjoy or find some value in or think that the movie's fun to watch, and we recommend and tell you why we think you should watch it. So I'll save the one that we watched a couple weeks ago for another podcast because it's not the one we're talking about today. I wanted to start with one that Maureen and I both thought was fun, although we rewatched it, and now Maureen's like, maybe maybe this isn't as good as I remember it being. We literally just finished watching it before recording this. The movie we're talking about today (laughs) came out 15 years ago in 2004, starring Nicolas Cage, Sean Bean, Diane Kruger, Justin Bartha, and for like five minutes, Christopher Plummer, what a get. (laughs) It is called National Treasure. Benjamin Franklin Gates, you are undertaking the duty of the family Gates to find the most spectacular treasure in history. It grew throughout the ages and moved across continents until it was hidden by America's founding fathers who left clues to the treasure's location right before our eyes. The unfinished pyramid, the all-seeing eye, are telling us something. Keeping this treasure safe, Benjamin, is your destiny. You're treasure hunters, aren't you? We're more like treasure protectors. All his life, Benjamin Gates has searched for a treasure no one believed existed. Don't you get it, Ben? The treasure is a myth. 
I refuse to believe that. But what he thought was the final clue... 108 years of searching and I'm three feet away. ...is only the beginning. The Declaration of Independence. You think there is a treasure map on the back of the Declaration of Independence? The map is invisible. Why would we make this up? Where's your proof? We don't have it. Word about the map is bound to get out. Ian's gonna try to steal it. 90 seconds. The only way to protect the Declaration is to steal it. What? I'm gonna steal the Declaration of Independence. If you've listened to the Ringer podcast, The Rewatchables, they have categories. We're gonna do something similar-ish where we came up with our own little categories. And then we will tell you why we think you should watch this movie. So the first one is Be the Critic. Maureen and I will each give our one to two sentence review of the movie. Do you want to start or do you want me to start? I'll go first. Okay. This will be challenging for me because I am not good at keeping it brief, but I'm going to try to keep it brief. Try to keep it brief. National Treasure is a delightfully exciting and glorious romp through history. I would argue that National Treasure, while not going to win an Oscar, is something that is family-friendly, fun for all ages, and teaches you a little bit about our founding fathers, while also showing some glorious shots of D.C. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was Romp pretty through history. Did you like that one? I, I, I kid you not. I was literally going to say the exact same no. words. I was going to say romp through history. Well, I said it first. I'm going to say it again. <laughs> National Treasure is a fun and exciting romp through history. That's just what I just said. It takes you from D.C. to New York City, starring Nicolas Cage. No, you're not summarizing it. You're giving, you're critiquing it. Well, so, this is hard. I know. Can't I just stick with a delightful romp through history? Yes, okay. okay. That, that about does it. If I had gone first, I would have said that. I would have said that. <laughs> okay. So now we're going to tell you, if you didn't know already... This movie received, we're using the website Rotten Tomatoes as sort of a barometer for what is a critically panned movie. And if you're familiar with the site, it's an aggregate of all of the reviews that a movie has gotten. Any movie that scores less than 60% good ratings is considered rotten. It's a splat. And that's that's what we're going to consider here. So any movie that has gotten less than 60% that we enjoy, we're going to talk about. This movie, sadly received 45% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's pretty low. It's not the lowest I've ever seen. It's not certainly not the lowest that I've liked, but I thought it was a good one to start with. I want to read some of these reviews that I pulled. These are just little snippets. Richard Roper, who writes for the Chicago Tribune now, but used to write for Ebert and Roper, said, quote, so bad on so many levels, end quote. Jamie Bernard from New York Daily News wrote, quote, Nicolas Cage usually brims with personality, but you wouldn't know it from this pedestrian ripoff of Raiders of the Lost Ark, end quote. <laughs> Peter Travers from Rolling Stone wrote probably my favorite review, terrible review of this movie that I, that I read, quote, rancid cinematic cheese, end quote. <laughs> and then the last one I pulled was Michael O'Sullivan from the Washington Post, quote, one of the more implausible movies in recent memory, end quote. Honey, honey, Josh and Maureen Goldman, quote, a delightful romp through history. Yeah, we could have. We should add our review to Rotten Tomatoes. Are you surprised by the ratings that this got? I'm surprised by. I'm surprised that it was that low. I'm not surprised that like the critic critics didn't like it. Like Roper, like you know people who like make a living off of this. Because again, this is never going to win any Oscars. I don't think it was designed to win any Oscars. It was designed to like be a blockbuster hit. So I, you know, I'm the reviews. I'm kind of like, yeah, that, you know, that's probably about right. But 
the splat score, like the Rotten Tomato score, I really thought that would have been higher. What's interesting about what you just said, which leads into our next point, which is, you know, what what about the movie do we think makes it good, is that I don't think it was designed, just like you said, it's not designed to win awards. It's a Disney movie. It's a Jerry Bruckheimer production. It's meant to be fun. And I find the movie really fun. It's entertaining. It's it's clever. It's you know it it's, makes you think. Yeah, it makes you think a little bit. The it's idea suspenseful. That, the idea that it's not entertaining is really silly. I mean, the the premise of the movie it is cheesy though. The rancid cheese one, maybe that one was pretty spot on. The premise is silly, but it's still fun. You know, they have this whole moment, and we're not going to spoil the whole movie because if you haven't seen it, we think you should watch it. But there's this whole you know, 15 minute scene where they're sort of planning the heist of the Declaration of Independence. And that's just really fun. If you've seen any sort of heist movie or, you know, yeah, where they're exactly the same as like Ocean's 8, where they just stole all the jewelry. Right, But I'm saying that to me is fun. I, I yes, find that yes, I find yes. that enjoyable when I when I watch a movie and, you know, you're watching them plan and how they're going to get around the security and what they're going to do. And how you know that to me is just entertaining. And I think that critics saying that this is implausible. Of course it's implausible. There's no map on the back of the Declaration of Independence. But why does that make it a bad movie? But honey, if you use lemon to, <laughs> to see the invisible ink. Yes, it was in, it's an invisible map on the back. Okay, so I think we're in agreement that, yes, the movie is a little bit cheesy. So we agree with the critics in that sense. But the fact that it's implausible, I don't think a movie... I mean, think about all the movies we watch that even the ones that are critically acclaimed that are implausible. It's not trying to be anything other than what it is it's not trying to be intellectual you know in the sense that yes of course there's a map on the back i mean like the idea of of raiders of the lost ark or you know also raiders of the lost ark is also kind of goofy at times right and implausible that that they would find totally. the you know the ark of the covenant and that when you open it everybody you know burns to death sorry if you haven't seen the movie it's it's really old so if you haven't seen it spoiler alert you know that that whole movie is implausible i think Saying something's implausible. How many times have I said implausible? 10 million times? <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of times. My point is, just because something's implausible doesn't mean it's a bad movie or doesn't mean it's not entertaining. Let's jump into our second to last question here, which is, what do you think could have been done to improve the movie if the critics didn't like it? Nicolas Cage's acting. I mean, part of, what, part of the magic of this movie is also the, like, love to hate it kind of thing like it's so bad it's good at times but i do think nicholas cage he's goofy but he's not a bad actor uh, he's won an oscar he won an oscar in for this no he didn't win an oscar actor. for this no 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 i know i'm just saying like he just had moments where like you just there's one moment where he kisses the female lead and he literally is like come here and he just like plants this <laughs> do you weird think the one problem on is him or the script like, but, uh, but, okay, that's fair. The, the script is bad. I mean, and then you add like a, a Nicolas Cage to it. They set him up it. for a bad part there. I mean, like, what well, was he supposed to do? And there's some like totally shticky lines. Like, he kisses her, and then like the like bumbling idiot henchman comes behind and is like, why doesn't that ever happen to me? I mean, like, that, that's, that's the script. That's You're the right. Script. So I think that, yes, I think, I think actually, if you replace Nicolas Cage with someone else, I think the movie does get better. I don't Matthew know. Matthew McConaughey? I was thinking Matt Damon. Although it might get a little too serious. What about Tom Cruise? <laughs> There'd have to be way more running, way more jumping. <laughs> there is some running, and I have to say that uh, Nicolas Cage's running pales in comparison <laughs> to Tom Cruise's running. 
I think I think actually you're right. Matthew McConaughey could be a really good fit for this. Yeah, because he, he's still jovial enough that like didn't he, he do could a be... movie that was like this, like called Sahara? I actually never I saw know. that movie. So, but but it. it well, if we're gonna like talk about McConaughey, then we have to talk about Leo because they're basically the same. Basically the same, same person. They could have switched careers, and then we would be talking about Leo being in this movie. <laughs> no, I think you're right. Maybe a serious actor would have been good, but McConaughey would have been good. So yeah. maybe okay. So maybe replacing Nicolas Cage and maybe taking out some of the some of the more sticky lines but you know but that's part of the joy of that is film. part of the joy i think that they knew going in it was going to be a pg movie it was going to be for families they wanted to put in some of the goofier lines the goofier moments the goofier lines too are the exact kind of thing that a 12 year old boy would think was the funniest thing that ever happened and guess who laughed when we rewatched it last <laughs> night me <laughs> yes a 31 year old man laughed at these lines that a 12 year old boy would laugh at okay so let's wrap this up by saying do you think it's worth the watch and if so why definitely worth the watch this was the category i really wanted to put in because i feel like it's like the x factor the the like what is the so what of this movie like should you do it or should you not it's worth the watch everyone because it's enjoyable it's enjoyable and despite the fact that i rented this on itunes it Ugh. is available on netflix here's what i'll say about the movie this, this movie has a surprisingly strong cast. Regardless of whether they're strong in this movie particularly. They've um, gone on to have successful Nicolas careers. Nicolas Cage, big actor. Diane Kruger has gone on to do a bunch of things. She was in a TV show. Justin Bartha was in The Hangover. He was in one, two. I never saw three, so I don't know if he's in that. But And then you have Sean Bean who before this played Boromir in The Lord of the Rings, but then went on to play Ned Stark in Game of Thrones. I mean, like, this is a this is a good cast. And then, of course, you have Christopher Plummer, the legend in the acting community. And then you have a person named Annie Paris. I don't know if I'm saying her name right. She's in the Netflix show Friends from College that she has a very bit role in this movie, but I recognized her and looked it up on IMDb. She's in it. And then, of course, if you ever watch Dexter, there's a character named dokes sergeant dokes on the first two seasons of dexter and he is in this movie too and and i just feel like it's fun it's entertaining the cast is great and i think that it's well worth two hours of your time if you've never seen it so two thumbs up worth the watch for both goldman's a delightful romp through history so if you like this uh this marquee topic we'd love to hear from you and if there's any critically pan movies that you really like that you think we should check out we'd be more than happy to talk about them on the show i have a couple more that that i've seen that i i want to do in the future so we'll slot these in in the next couple months we'll do it from time to time but we just thought this would be a really fun thing give you guys an idea of something we're really liking even if the critics didn't like it yeah because it's not always about what awards something has won or nominations it's sometimes about what is the most fun thing to watch on a friday night i will say we started with a movie that maureen and i both mostly enjoy i think in the future we may do one where maureen really likes it and i don't like it even yeah, though I it's critically panned like, and, and vice versa and so we'll we'll bring you those as well should we move on to our teasers yeah i'm excited about mine this okay. week okay why don't you kick us off this week? All right. So my teaser this week is called Workin' Moms, and it's on Netflix. And this is a random one. I could not get our DVR cable service to work on our iPad the other, the other day when I was, like, going through clothes. Anyway, in our room, I just went on Netflix, and this was show was so – selected suggested it was suggested for me and i kind of was like okay netflix let's see what you got 
And I was laughing out loud during the pilot episode of this. So the basic premise is that maternity leave is over and it's time for four moms to return to work while navigating kids, bosses, love, and life in modern-day Toronto. I will say, because it's in Toronto, their maternity leave is over and it's like eight, nine months a year, which I was super jealous of because obviously in the United States we get about 12 weeks. Anyway, <laughs> that aside, it was just really funny. Uh, it stars Catherine Reitman, Danny Kind, and Juno Rinald, and it's also written by Catherine Reitman. And I just think it is smart comedy about real women, and you see very poignant moments about them as mothers, and you also see very poignant moments about them, you know, in the in their professional lives. And I'm into it. So check it out and let me know what you think. My teaser this week is a new show that just came out on ABC called Whiskey Cavalier. The show is pretty silly in its premise, but I really enjoyed the pilot episode and I've decided that I will be sticking with it. No, I'm not, I'm it's not, so silly. I'm not sure Maureen will it's be sticking with it. It's more implausible than National Treasure. So the, the show stars Scott Foley and Lauren Cohan. And I don't know, it's just, it's sort of like a spy thriller. Scott Foley's character is in the FBI and Lauren Cohen's character is in the CIA. They sort of have this bickering relationship when they're forced to work together. I just found it really enjoyable. I thought it was relatively funny. I think pilot episodes are really hard to get right. And this one was mostly right. I think the show has a lot of room to grow and I'm excited to see where they go with it. Also, fun fact about us watching this pilot together is that the show is called Whiskey Cavalier, and they keep referring to Scott Foley's character as Whiskey. And I was like, what's his name? Why do they call him that? And Josh convinced me that his name was Will Hiskey, (laughs) (laughs) and therefore his nickname was Whiskey. Will Hiskey. Whiskey. That's not true his, his, name, his is name is will chase will chase wc but wouldn't it have been better if it was will hiskey yeah in my mind it always will be all right will hiskey that will do it for this week thank you guys so much for listening we are going to take a week off next week but we will be back on march 22nd with a brand new episode so until then bye-bye you can leave us feedback comments or questions on each episode by going to vernacularpodcast.com slash popcast We would love to hear from you and would especially love to hear what you want to hear about on the show. You can also reach us by emailing thepopcast at vernacularpodcast.com. Please also subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We put out a new one every Friday, and if it's not too much trouble, please drop us a rating or a review. It helps other people find our show. We'll be back next week, as always, sitting cross-legged on our bedroom floor with a brand new episode. We also have the DVD somewhere, you guys. No, so I found the DVD case. The DVD was not in there. We have to find it. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. We need a clue. We need a clue. Let's go to the get the Declaration of Independence, find out where the missing DVD is.